think we all uh, remember that day, and it's and it's interesting how uh, like my kids don't though. You know, I've got five kids, and only one lived uh, in this country and was alive at the time. I remember on September 11th for myself, I was playing basketball with some friends. We were all youth pastors, so the game was really bad. And uh, there was, I remember hopping in my car, and I was complaining to myself that my foot hurt because my friend Eric had jumped off of my foot, and he was a very heavy boy, so that hurt. And I was just like crabby about my toe, like really crabby. Like going to ruin my week, kind of crabby. I don't know if you've ever done that about something like a toe. And I turn on the radio, and I can't even make sense of what they're talking about. And I drive home. It was only about four or five blocks to my house, and I drive home. And by that time, I had figured out that something massive had happened in New York and, and in D.C., and there was some other plane that had something happened with another plane and, and I saw my wife and I saw my son sleeping and they were safe and I just felt like the, the, the toe didn't matter, you know, and all of a sudden like I, I don't, all I want to do is keep them safe. And I want other people to feel that safety and I don't know how, I remember that night we went to work and and had like a, we opened the church that night. We prayed together, but we pretty much just opened the church like we did together a couple months ago. We just opened the church and we talked and people got together and just felt publicly. And uh, that changed us, right? That day changed us and has set a lot of things in motion, some to the positive, some not so much. But one of the things that I noticed on that day was there were a ton of people who had stopped and asked why. Not just why of the act, but they asked some questions about why with God too. And they asked some questions about who God is. And I don't know what it is about these big moments that we share together, but we tend to like grieve a million things that are personal right alongside when we grieve something that's more communal. And we tend to be a lot more honest about our questions when these types of things happen, right? We're in this series, if you've been with us, called Identity, and we're asking why we do what we do. Like when you show up on a Sunday, why are we doing the things that we do? Why why did we just stand up and sing? Why do we open the Bible and preach from the Bible every time we get together? Why, last week we looked at why do we celebrate communion and why do we celebrate baptism? What's their significance? And today we're talking about everybody's favorite topic. Why, why do we pass offering plates? And why do we give? And why, why is this? And it falls on September 11th, and I think it's pretty perfect because I, I think as we look at why we give and we look at our own heart in there, we realize often that there are some questions that we have of God that go unanswered until we ask. 
And that's what we're going to explore a little bit, okay? So the why we give money in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, towards the way beginning, there's this thing called the tithe that's talked about. It's your first 10%. Your first tenth goes to the Lord. So if you have 10 sheep, your first one goes to the Lord as thanks, as offering, as praise, as an act of worship and as of trust. If you have 10 bushels of hay, you give that first one. You got 10 coins, you give that first one. It's this way of saying out of what I what I have been blessed with, I give to you first, recognizing it's all yours. And so this is, has carried on. and This is how people show worship and honor and trust. And a lot of us, we, we, we just don't know what to feel about that. Like I grew up in a place where kind of the, the gospel was taught that if you tithed, you went to heaven. That was kind of the deal. If you gave some money to the church, that like bought you a seat almost. It's like we were prepaying. And, uh, and so you didn't like it. You were reluctant. But like I remember even as a kid, I, I would I'd give some money just to like save me a spot on the bus because I, I, I want to go because the other spot sounds really hot. And that's like all I knew of theology. That's what I thought everything was. And so like it comes to money and and some of us just are like the tithe, that's Old Testament. I, d- I don't get it. Jesus came, I'm done. I'll, I'll give if I ever feel like it. And then if you're like most, you just never feel like it. And so you just don't. And others of us grew up just entrenched in giving. And so we're going to give, but many of us give reluctantly. And it's like paying taxes. And like, I've just got to do this so I don't go to like heavenly jail. So I'm going to give. Or, or it's like paying the LG&E bill. We just, it's obligation. We don't really think about it. It's just routine. You, you write it, you give it. We're done. But I'll let you know that how we see money and generosity in general is directly related to how we see God. And if there's anywhere in you where you feel obligation, where you feel a cruelty, where you feel like you live real close-fisted with the things that God calls you to be generous with, whether that be your time, whether that be your abilities, whether that be your money, whether that be the things that you have, if you feel close-fisted and protected as if everything is scarce, then this morning I want to remind you of the story that we've been adopted into. This isn't the story that I, I was born into. This is the story that by faith, as I placed my faith in Jesus, it became my story. And it has become your story. We're going to start in Deuteronomy in chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. It says this, and now Israel... What does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you their descendants, a 
above all the nations as it is today. So if, you, if you're not recognizing this, this is at a time after this nation of Israel is called a nation. And God says, I'm going to bless you as a nation. And then they, they kind of squander their lives. They, they do a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff happens. They end up in Egypt. And they have a lot of people. The nation becomes big. And so then they become enslaved in Egypt. And it's an entire nation inside of another nation in slavery and then God delivers them miraculously from slavery and they find themselves in the wilderness and God gathers them together and tells them about what life is going to look like as these people serve this God and this God loves on these people. Now we all get kind of pictures of God, right? And, and as we talk about this passage I think a lot of us think of like this mean, angry Zeus kind of thing. Because God talks about that he is holy and he is holy. And he talks about that he is powerful and he is powerful. And he talks about how everything belongs to him. And he says that because it's true. And so we see this like big, powerful thing. But there's this weird equation that happens in most of us. The bigger and the more powerful we see something, the more cruel we see it. You ever notice that? The bigger, the more powerful even someone is, the more likely we are to be afraid of them. It doesn't say anything about their character. It's their size. And when we look at scriptures where God's size and his holiness and his majesty is revealed, we start to get afraid. And we're sure that he's going to turn on us. This is not some big, mean Zeus like God. This is like a grandfather calling everybody together, an entire nation, and saying, hey, everything is mine. So you're afraid of all those things, but it's mine. And you're in this wilderness with no food, but everything's mine, so I'll feed you. And you have no water in in the desert, but everything is mine, so you'll have water. And he's calling everyone together, and he says, obey and love and serve. And then this, this phrase in here that the Lord set his affection on his people. He chose to spoil these people with his presence, with his goodness, with his majesty, with his might, with his holiness. And so he says, love me, serve me, obey me. Because I've led you out of Egypt already. Look at what we've already done. And you have nothing to fear because everything is mine. And I have already set my affection on your ancestors so you can look and see that I've proven myself and now on you today. Is that how you see God? I mean, I wasn't born into the nation of Israel, but I was adopted in. In the New Testament, we could walk through all that. Martin did actually a couple weeks ago looking in Acts. And I find my faith tied to this very thing where these promises are my promises. Where this God who is faithful and has everything and powerful and majestic is the very one who sets his affection on me and on you. And so when we wonder, are things scarce? He says, love me, obey me, serve me. I'm not a God who's in want or in need. And my affection is you. 
I want you to listen to this verse, Psalm 145. And sit still in this and be, be honest. You can read with me. You can close your eyes and just listen. Whatever works for you. The psalmist writes, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. those words ring true for you? I mean, they are true because they're scripture. But in your heart, as you hear them, are they like, no, that's not something I live into. Or yes, that's a reality and a well I drink deeply from. Do you realize that our God fulfills the desires of those who fear him? That he hears our cries. In Lamentations, it says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I mean, get this. This book is, is named after lamenting. Like this book is about like, here's how to be sad and like have it not resolve. You know, I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's not like the sitcom kind of stuff we like where in 23 minutes, everything's cured. This is like, here's your instruction manual on how to be and handle like op- oppression and fear and outside things coming against you and have it not resolve, but remain faithful. And in the middle of that book, Says the Lord's great love is the reason we're not consumed. His compassions have never failed. Never. Opposition is against me. Yes, his compassions have not failed. And they're new every morning. The question for you right now is what's new every morning for you? What's new every morning? I'll tell you, my deep need for caffeine is new every single morning. Every morning, one of the first things I realize. Second thing I realize, I have a lot of kids. That realization is new every morning. I got to get them to school. And it's this like love-hate thing. I don't love doing it that early. Uh, You know, I I hate being up that early, but I love that school babysits for like the day. You teachers are saints. The things that are new in my mind are typically the things that I failed on the day before. The people I've let down, the ways I haven't measured up, or maybe the people who've hurt me. I wake up and I've got a list. And then I live out of that list. And I'm shocked when I end up worshiping in a, in a way that isn't God honoring and often a God that doesn't resemble the God of scripture. But he says in the middle of lament, in the middle of oppression, in the middle of pain, the compassion never fails. In fact, it's new every morning. How many of us need that right now? How many of us need to wake up tomorrow morning and be like, oh, that's right. I woke up because he loves me. That's the reason that I'm breathing right now. 
I'm breathing not because he wants to punish me with another day, but because he loves me enough to give me another day. That his compassion meets me in this day and that I can start to be transformed by him. He's this generous, faithful God who nudges you in the morning, sometimes with the sound of your phone or whatever, but nudges you to wake up to who he is every day. Could that be our mornings? Could we wake tomorrow and realize that love and compassion are what we're offered? And so back to our text in, in, in Deuteronomy. God's got this nation together. And they're fearful and they're off. But look at what he says to them next. He says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. This is one of the most full chunks of scripture. We're going to unpack it for a second. He says, circumcise your hearts. Weird phrase. You turn back a little bit in the story of his people. And he says, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, and the world is going to know it. And so go and circumcise every male and do that the way that hospitals do. And, and that is how you are set apart. The world will look at you and be like, huh, you're different. And that's what they did. And he leads them into the desert and he changes things. They continue to go through physical circumcision, but he says, what I'm asking of you is that you circumcise your hearts. That the thing that sets you apart from other nations is not a physical thing. It's not something somebody can see. It's something someone experiences. When they encounter you, they encounter your heart and your heart is different. Why? Because you wake up with compassion every morning because you realize that you have a God who owns everything and sets his affection on you. Our hearts are to be distinct. But then he says this thing that doesn't seem to fit. He says, I am the, the God of gods and the Lord of lords who does not accept bribes. And like that seems weird to have that right there. First he said to circumcise my heart, which I have to get around a little bit, and then you don't accept bribes. Why would you put that? Honestly, he would put that in there because we are a people who try to bribe God. Right? If I look at the way I give a lot of times, I've got conditions. It's like a contract I'm asking him to sign. Lord, I'll give you some of my time, but I trust you'll give it back to me tenfold, and I'll like twist scripture. I'll like invent stuff. There will be like random just deep thoughts I'm adding in there that are like from Saturday Night Live, but I'm pretending it's from the Bible. <laughs> when, when we do give financially or we give, give of our talents, we're, we're all twisted and bribey and weird in our worship as if we can negotiate something. He's already said, I don't need anything, but I set my affection on you. So I don't need a bribe from you. What are you going to add to me? There's 12 pieces on this board and I own them all. What are you going to give me? But I let you be in here because my affection is on you. I've chose you as my people. I am your God. So he says, no, let your heart be changed by this truth. I don't accept bribes because I don't need it. I don't need it. 
And he says this other phrase in here when he talks about us. He says, circumcise your heart, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. It's easy to skip over this. I, I don't really hang out at farms, but I've learned through studying that stiff-necked is something that cows have. They don't turn their head real well. Something that bulls have, that calves have. You turn back a chapter, and there's this golden calf that this nation is worshiping. They have made a golden calf, and they start bowing down to it. If you look throughout Scripture at Baal, you see people constantly trying to appease this god, this this bull God, and they're trying to cut themselves and do just enough to get his attention and bribe him to love him. And God is saying, I am the God of gods. You don't need that lesser one. And I am the Lord of lords. You don't need that lesser one. And he's talking to these people that he is calling his own, and they look like another God. Do we get that? He calls them stiff-necked people because their worship is often reflected as worship of another God. They're bribing Yahweh as if he is like Baal. They're treating the God of Israel as if he needs to be appeased, as if he needs them, as if he's angry, Zeus-like. They're missing his character. And they're like, you currently look like people who serve another God, but I call you mine. And so instead of your neck being stiff, which is a sign of worship towards another God, where you are looking like the God you worship, would you please circumcise your heart so you look like me? And he starts to transform us here. I mean, we we should dig into this one. This is a really big deal that God is calling them his, and they look like completely other if you find yourself stumbling in here on Sunday and your week look like worship to something else, whether it be your wallet or your clock or technology or somebody or yourself, he still calls you his. And he invites us to look like him. See, God is constantly reminding us of what he's done. And he transforms us from stiff-necked to his. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us walk in and we have ill assumptions about who God is. And we misunderstand who he is. And if you watched my life and if we watched your life, oftentimes we look stiff-necked or at least closed-fisted. but much about generosity and how we see time and talent, money. It depends and is transformed by how we see God. And so James, this is the God of scripture. James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask. How about that one? If you lack wisdom, he doesn't say like turn in a proposal go into like a, a lottery system, somebody's going to be drawn. If you lack wisdom, tough luck. If you lack wisdom, ask. He gives generously to all. In Matthew 7, he says, hey, you think you give good gifts to your kids. You don't even get it. You're shady people. 
perfect gift comes from the perfect father. I'm the perfect father who views you as my child. Ephesians 1 says that we, each one of us, are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that this, this father sets his affection on you and on me. And he, he's not like this absent one that comes in and out and tries to bribe you with like stuff. He is an ever-present father who, yes, meets every need, often even meets your want, but better than all of that, he fills your life by being present and transformative, where he's changing our hearts to understand that like, he's got us. If I'm standing on my own, I'm lacking, but I never stand on my own. So I've told some of you guys this before, but I, I kept thinking of it this week. I tried to order some, uh, I, I'm, I grew up in a very like Norwegian family. Uh, that's where I get my awesome pigment. And I tried to order lefsa, which is our flatbread. It like rivals the tortilla. Not really. It's like straight potato. But I tried to order some and no one would ship me any because it's too hot in Louisville. And apparently it molds or something. But at every family function, there would be just piles of this flatbread lefsa. And my grandmother would make everyone, I know I told some of you guys this, but this is always in my mind. My grandmother would make every single piece because nobody could make it as well as her. And, and you have to boil the potatoes, and then you have to, like, do weird things to it. It's not just squish it. You have to, like, turn it, it, like, rice it or something like that. You have to make it look like rice. And then you mix it with some other things. You make balls. You put it in the fridge. You pull it out. Some of these steps might not even be necessary. They might just be a grandma thing to make us all impressed. I don't know. But there was, like, 120 Nesses. And she would make enough lefsa for every one of us to only have that as a meal. And she knew that the younger generation didn't really like it because it tasted like a giant potato. So she would butter every piece. And I mean, this grandma buttered. Like 120 people, tons of pieces of lefsa, all this time, and she buttered every single piece to every single edge. And you could not get her to skip steps. You could not rush her through this process. And then I remember one Thanksgiving in particular, she, she's sitting there buttering for days, just putting butter on all of this flatbread. And then she knew that us kids actually used the left as pixie sticks. We just poured sugar in them. And, and so grandma not only buttered ours, but she went through and put sugar on ours. And it wasn't like how I do where you just like, and then you're done. And like, that's enough, kids. There's a bunch of you. Assembly line this. She like lovingly dumped sugar on every one of these pieces of lepsa. And she cut them in half. And then she rolled them as only Norwegian grandmothers can roll them. And made these piles of sugary, potatoey, just starch-filled deliciousness. And she would have somebody set one at every table as 120 of us gathered together, which is a very biblical number, I just thought that, but 120 some of us would gather together for this Thanksgiving meal. And that was my grandmother. And every time I think of her, I think of how generous she was with everything, how she never cut a corner. I would eat breakfast with her on Monday mornings and it would just be her and I, and she would wake up and, and make the most delicious breakfast, and she didn't even eat it. She just made one of them for me. And anytime I wanted to come, that's what Grandma did. 
and she would tell me stories of God's faithfulness and she would pull out her Bible that weighed more than those trays of Lefsa and she would try to read with that 84 point font. It's the only thing she could see. And I remember staring at her hands resting on that Bible and her hands were so arthritic and misshapen, but they were the ones who made sure that I had what I needed to eat. And not just what I needed, but what I wanted. And she made sure to pour that sugar on there too. And we so often picture God as, as mean, cruel, as if things are scarce. And we hold on to everything. And we, we just can't let go. And we end up stiff-necked, not because of our pillow, but because of our worship. And to you and to me, he wants to circumcise our hearts and he allows us to be generous because he's generous because we have no need. Look at what he says next, 18 and 19. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you. These are his chosen people, and he loves the people who don't belong with the chosen people but pretend they belong with the chosen people. He loves them, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners. You see more of his character here, right? He defends those who need defending. He loves, he gives food and clothing to those who need food and clothing. All these are distinct. Those are three completely separate things. He does every one of them and he does them well. And then he turns to us and says, now go defend those who need defending. Go love those who need loving and go put food in the belly and clothes on the back of those who need food and clothing. Go do all of those things because that was you. I was one outside of this story. At best, I was the foreigner in the camp pretending. And he grabbed me and named me his son and asked me to never forget. You see, he changes us. And we're to turn around and do the same. We're to turn and find people who, were, who are where we were tell them there's no difference except we know that we serve a God whose hands are full and whose hands are open and because of that we can live with hands that are full and hands that are open we can be transformed to look more like our God we can realize that we're made in his image both male and female he created us so in a moment we're going to receive communion which is like the ultimate generosity, right? This is the act of Jesus saying, hey, I adore you so much that I'm laying down my life for you. And every time you gather, remember this. Remember what I did. Remember that in part because that's what makes you, you. We're gonna sing a song of worship and we're gonna receive our offering and the ushers are gonna ush and do all this stuff. And this is not just like paying admission. This is our act of worship. This is us saying, God, you've been so generous to me. Continue to transform me 
into your image. We're going to look at the ministry fair stuff and ways that we can share of our time and who we are. And all of this is meant not to just fill seats and fill roles, but this is meant to circumcise our hearts so that we look more like him and that these words in 2 Corinthians become true. Let me read these over us as we close. Now each of you, each of us, we must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Father, may we be people overflowing with your presence, overflowing with an understanding of who you are, overflowing with your compassion and your love that you met us with this morning. In ways that we've become stiff-necked, may you loose our neck and circumcise our hearts so we might look like you. And may we learn to live generous with our finances. May we learn to be generous with our time, with our talents, with, with all that we have. May we learn to be generous with those around us because you are generous towards us. And may we have a heart that beats like your heart beats. And may your kingdom come and your will be done and nothing change that. In your name, amen.